Hello, and welcome to the Salem on the Go podcast, a community of Christ followers that seeks the well-being of all people, a place where you can connect, commit, and continue to grow in your faith. 2021 is wrapped and 2022 is here, and many of us look forward to days like today because we're looking for the happiness that's possible in a brand new year. But maybe this new year can be different. Instead of waiting for the new year to come, perhaps we can become a new you. Today, we'll explore the transformation that's possible when we explore the new you in this new year. Well, for those who are uh, joining us for the first time online, or uh, maybe you're joining us for the first time in here, uh, Happy New Year again, uh, let me say. This, you know, New Year Sunday is always a fun one for me personally, uh, because I live, uh, I love to live like kind of thinking about all the connections of the past and then what future possibilities can be like. You know, some of us are more history people, some of us are more future-oriented people, but this place right here is sort of an in-between space where we are close enough to sort of think about all that's happened in the past year. Um, but we're right at the beginning of some possibilities of what might come. And so we've got proximity to both of these worlds that's really helpful as we think about life and what life can be like. And it's really, it becomes kind of a prime space or season or whatever for change in our lives. When we enter into these in-between, some people might call them liminal spaces, like you're in the middle of a doorway getting ready to cross into a brand new space. And, and I don't know about you, but we always come into this year and we wish each other a Happy New Year. I hope you have a happy new year, right? Many of us have probably been in that boat, like I mentioned earlier, where we're like, I hope it's better than the last, right? Anybody have said that this year already? I hope your new year is better than the last year. Maybe even better than the last two years, right? Not just last year, but we're hoping it's better than the last two years. And, uh, you know, honestly, it's got to be. We lost Betty White the last day of 2021, right? Anybody else feel that loss in your heart deep down? Like, I'm just telling you, 2022 has got to get better because 2021 just ended on a terrible note. Uh, and it already is better, right? It's 60-something degrees outside on January 2nd when I decided to dress like Fred Rogers. Um, it's a terrible mistake, but it's a reality. So we're already starting to get into a new year, and it's going to be a, a, an exciting new year. But the thing that I've been kind of rolling over in my head is this. What makes a new year so happy? If you're looking for 2022 to be better than 2021, what makes it happy for you? What will make it happy for you? And in fact, the way that I kind of want you to do this, I want you to fill in the blank for me. We're going to put this up on the screen for you, but if blank happens, I will have a better 2022. No, wait a minute. Don't say that loud. There's some of you might, like, there might be some things we shouldn't say, you know? It's like, my daughter just get rid of that pariah of a boyfriend. Like, it would be so much better going, I don't want you to say that out loud. I just want you to think about this in your head for a few minutes. If this happened, this would create a better 2022. If what happened? What is the blank? What, what is the blank in your life that you're just waiting for that you say, yeah, I'll have a better 2022 if it could do this, right? And it, and it could be a variety of things. It could happen in our social world. It could happen in the political world. It could happen in our economic world. It could happen for you personally. Like maybe there's something personally that needs to change for you. If we could just lose these masks, right? and feel free again, we'd have a better 2022. If we could just, uh, you know, adjust the midterm elections and they landed in the way that I wanted them to land, we would have a better 2022. If I, if I you know, find myself in a space where my family is safe and sound and I don't have to worry about their health and I don't have to worry about what's gonna happen in their relationships, I would have 
a better 2022. Maybe it's economic for you. Maybe it's, you know, there's something in the middle of your job or your transition, and, you know, you're like, if this contract goes through, I know I'm going to have a better 2022. If the market just straightens out a little bit, I'll have a better 2022. If I get a new job, like if I land this job, I'll have a better 2022. And for others, it's really, really personal. And you know it's personal, and you would not dare say it out loud, right? But you felt the strained relationship with your children. You're like, if I could just get past that, I would have a better 2022. 2022 would start to make all kinds of sense for me if that would work out. Or maybe it's in, in, in a relationship with your spouse, right? If I just work out the tension that's there, if I had a partner who wanted to work with me, I'd have a better 2022. If we could learn how to talk again, if we could learn how to live together again, if we could learn how to enjoy each other again, I'd have a better 2022 going forward. Right? If, if the next Christmas was less tense than what this Christmas was with all the family dynamics that were going around, I'd have a better 2022. And, and in these spaces, it gets really personal. And, and our better 2022 can happen on any and all of these levels and multiple levels all at one time. And as you think about each of these answers and what the answer might be, I want you to start imagining what it's going to take to get there. How is it going to be when you end 2022, December 31st rolls around? How is it that you're going to arrive at that goal, right? Some of you might be thinking, a miracle, right? That's the word they said. Like, it's a miracle. That's the, it's going to take an act of God to get us into that place. God's going to have to do something in a powerful way. And part of when we think that way, part of what's happening is we feel that it's impossible, there's a level of impossibility to our desires to actually be happy. And so we place it back in God. God, it's impossible on our end. We'll throw it at you. Maybe you can do something, right? It's highly unlikely that anything on our end is going to change. And what I would suggest is the reason that your dreams of happiness and well-being seem impossible is because they are outside the realm of your possibilities, right? Not like they're in another universe. Like we've not planted them in a different, a different dimension. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's that we place the object of our happiness in a realm that's outside of our own control. Our happiness, in many of these ways that I've just mentioned, are placed in the hands of someone else, or someone's else, or something else. And if that something changes, or those someones change, then I'll be happy. And all of those desires are outside the realm of your control. And that's why happiness for you is often fleeting. Happiness for you feels like, you know, as the winds change, it kind of rises and falls because our happiness is dependent on someone else's action or someone else's words or someone else or something else's movement in the world. And if that happens, right, if my partner would just do this, if my children would just do this, if the market would just do this, if the government would just do this, and all of these things are outside of your control. It's not what you can do. It's not how you can move in this world. And you're just sitting back as a blind recipient, conforming to what is happening around you. And whether it's your intention or not, we've placed the object of our happiness, the place where we can find true happiness in this new year, in someone else's control. And therefore, it's outside of the realm of possibility. And it's fleeting. You might see glimpses of it, right? Someone might conform to your reality every now and then. They might kind of rise up to the occasion and they may meet your standards, but then they'll fall again and then it'll be problematic again and you'll find yourself not happy again. And this approach to the new year or any season like this, it always makes you the helpless recipient, makes us the helpless recipients of someone else's actions, of what someone else is doing, and our happiness meter is controlled by them, not by us. 
The way that we live and thrive and, and enjoy life around us is related to somebody or somebody's else. And we're constantly trying to maintain it, but we're trying to maintain it by getting something else to respond to us instead of seeing what we can do different, how we can change, how we can transform. And what I want to argue this morning from Romans chapter 12 is that we don't need any more conforming to the world around us in order to find our happiness. We don't need other people to come in and to conform, uh, to form around us and to change our happiness meter. We need a transformation inside ourselves. In 2022, in order to find that new happiness meter, we need to believe that we can actually become something new in this world. That in Christ Jesus, transformation is not only there, but it's possible. It's a reality that you can live in no matter where you are in life, no matter what age or background you come from, you can experience transformation. I mean, this is what lies at the core of Jesus' teaching. We talk all the time about John chapter 3 and the way that Jesus comes out and speaks to Nicodemus, Nicodemus. And in that space, he talks about transformation. You have to be born again. Right? That's transformation. That's, that's new life that's happening right there. That's a metamorphosis. In fact, the Greek word for transformation that Paul uses is the word for, that we're, where we get metamorphosis from. That's a metamorphosis taking place, being born again. Jesus describes it in the same way when he says, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you change and become like what? A child. Right? Now, for most of us in this space, that's going to be a drastic change. Right? It's been a long time since we've seen childhood and what that means. But Christ is inviting us into a space of real transformation. This is what gripped the hearts of the apostles, right? They, they changed their entire lives. Some of them changed their professions, their backgrounds, where they lived, what they did. Some of them even changed their names, right? They go from Simon to Peter. They go from Saul to Paul. Like, there's so much transformation at work in their lives that they experience that type of change uh, in, in their name and what they're called in the world and what they're perceived as. And then, of course, they teach it to you and me. And they say, this is what is possible. If, if you choose to be a disciple of Christ, if you choose to make that a way of life, you can live into this. You can have this sort of transformation in your life all the time, wherever you are. And that's exactly what we get in Romans chapter 12. And I'll just read to you those two verses again, one and two, uh, before we press any further. But Paul comes back to the Roman, uh, the Roman Christians here. He says, I appeal to you. I beg you, therefore. Brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, please present yourselves as living sacrifices. Turn your bodies completely over to God and for God's uses. Present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And in the context of that movement, whenever you choose to actually submit your lives, your entire lives, your entire being over to God, here's what will happen. You will not conform or be conformed to this world, but you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can then discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, this is an interesting section of Romans, and let me just give you a wide, wide shot of Romans real quick, and then I'm going to zoom in here. But Paul has been exploring what it means to have faith in Christ through most of this letter. In fact, the first eight chapters of this letter, Paul moves us from the very beginning all the way back at creation. He moves us steadily through what Christ does in this story, this narrative of God in the world, bringing about justification, bringing about a renewal of our hearts, sanctifying our lives, and moving us into a new pattern. And then in, verse, in chapters 9 and 11, he just takes a little bit of a break, and he says, okay, I know some of you are probably wondering what happens to the Jewish people. Let me tell you what happens to them. And he breaks right there from 9 to 11. He tells us what's happening to the Jewish people. And then in chapter 12, he comes back right here 
And and if we're thinking about this in sections, I think chapter 12, verse 1 is like the beginning of the end. This is where he all wraps it up. Chapter 12, verse 1, he comes back in here. He starts to talk to us about the marks of a transformed life. I've talked to you about justification. I've talked to you about sanctification. I've talked to you about all the heady things that take place. But can I tell you something, Paul says? There's real transformation that's possible in your life. You can actually live in a different way. You can experience life in a different way. And he starts this third section out by talking about that level of transformation. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, let me pause for just a minute. I'm going to do my own little parenthetical statement here because this verse is one that is so well known to us that we often take it out of context. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you've probably heard this. You've probably heard this, this used a lot. Don't conform to the world. Be different from the world. Stand out from the world. Don't look like the world. Uh, dress different from the world. All those sort of things. Paul's not t- concerned about what you wear, right? This is not about that. This is not about the, the things that come out of your mouth. Paul's not concerned about clothes or the places you go or the music you listen to. He's not concerned about any of those things when he talks about not being conformed to the world. The focus, in fact, is not even placed on being conformed. The focus of this passage is being placed on the transformation and what comes with it. And, and whenever we misconstrue this, whenever we start to place the focus on the former rather than the latter, being conformed rather than being transformed, we run into a few problems. One of the problems you run into, it goes all the way back to Jesus. Jesus came into this world. He lived in flesh, and he encourages us to do the same in the world we live in. Right? Jesus took on the flesh of a Jewish male in the first century. And along with that, he took the cool Birkenstocks, the long robe, and circumcision, right? None of that would you choose, right? None of it. Nobody's going to go down that path. But what did he do? He became a Jewish male in the first century, and he took that on, all of it. He lived into it, all of it. The world that was around him, he lived into it and moved into it. And as his disciples, as members of his body, we're encouraged to do the same, to take on the world in its fullest sense and carry the gospel into it. If there's any problem that I would see within the church today, it's not that we look too much like the world, it's that we look too different. We're pulled too far away for anybody to relate in any way, right? But the, uh, the apostles, when they came out in Acts chapter 2, they didn't ask everybody who was gathered there to start speaking their language. Instead, what they did, they spoke their language. By the power of the Spirit, they understood the other's language and spoke in that language and connected to them. And that's where we need to be if we're going to be an incarnational church. But, but even further than that, let me get back to what it means to conform. Because I think this is another problem. We often assume that being conformed is about what we do. It's not. It's about who we are. It's about how we're formed by those things around us. I can't exactly remember the way that N.T. Wright says it in the version that Hayden read to us from earlier, but it was a beautiful translation of the way that outside pressures push in around us and form us into something. And that's exactly the image that's taking place when Paul uses conform here. It's that something outside of ourselves is forming us and forming our identity. For instance, when Paul is talking to the Roman church here in in this chapter, Those who were born in Rome, if you were born a plebe, guess what you died as? Plebe. If you were born a slave, guess what you died as? Slave. That's the reality. The outside world pressured you and pushed this around you. And the identity that you were given early on by the world shaped you and shaped your understanding of it. Now, I know we don't live in a caste system. I know that's not a part of our reality today. 
But here's, here's the truth. Every one of us in this room and everyone watching online, we all live under the expectations of others around us. We're working in jobs today because of pressures that we felt growing up about certain occupations and the way that we should use our gifts and the way that we should live in this world and the social status that we have and the places that we should live. We operate in that space because of pressures that come to us from the outside and we allow other pressures to shape us rather than the transformational internal work that God is wanting to do in us. And so we live under this pressure. Some of us continue to cycle in and out of behaviors that we don't really like, but we do it because that's just who we are, or at least that's what other people tell us, right? That's what we've heard spoken over us over and over and over again, and we start to believe it, and we start to live into it. And even if we would want to change our behavior, we don't because others are just saying that's who we are. That's where I'm at, and this is how I respond into the world, and I don't know that I'll ever be able to change and be any different than that. And so we live under the weight of our identity in this world being conformed by others, by others. And that's right here why Paul comes onto the scene and he addresses this very directly. He's not addressing your attire or your associations. He's not addressing your drinks or your language. I mean, he does that in other places to address our our language. It's your identity. That's what he's talking about right here. It's who you are and how you, are addre- how you are being formed in this world. Are you allowing others to form you, or are you allowing God to form you and transform you into who you want to be? And even at this point, though, Paul doesn't want to get entangled with being conformed. He wants to push you past that. I know I've spent a lot of time talking on it, but let me spend the rest of the time talking about transformation, because that's what Paul talks about. Transformation is the core of this passage. It's what we should be concerned about. We shouldn't be concerned uh, just about the voices who are shaping us out there. We should rather be concerned about the way that God is wanting to transform us. And transforming or transformation is different from being conformed. And the message of the gospel is simply this. And if you hear nothing else, let me say this as clearly as I can. Transformation is possible for you. You can change. You can be changed. The life that you're living can be different in the future because the gospel comes into our world and it changes all things. It changes all of who we are, our world, our life, our actions, our words, our thoughts. All of those things can be different. And Paul acknowledges that there's this outside pressure, but he doesn't place the emphasis there because he believes that transformation is possible. And he wants you, he wants you to believe that it's possible for your life and that's why the, you know, the next six verses of this passage that we're looking at, he just talks about transformation. He didn't talk about anything else. And then in the rest of the letter, all the chapters that follow, that's what he's going to give you example after example after example of. Hey, look, if you choose to live this life in Christ, your family can be different. Hey, look, if you choose to live this, Christ, this life in Christ, the way you relate with people in society, it can be different. You can experience a brand new different world if you choose to live into this because transformation is possible. And he gives us example after example after example. And he offers these examples. He places the emphasis here because he knows, like you probably know, like I know, I feel it in my gut, this is where we struggle. This is the hardest place for us to live into. Somewhere in life, I think we just stop believing that change can happen. We just, we just don't think it's going to be possible anymore, right? We, and we say things like that. This is just how I am, right? I just am this way. Or we'll say other things like, you know, if, if it worked for me this long, why change? Why, why change now? It's been fine. I've been fine working along this path. And this is just ways to kind of perpetuate our reality without actually living into the miracle of transformation that God wants for you. 
And some of us, you know, some of us don't even set New Year's resolutions anymore. We're like, well, I do that. It's just a waste of time. <laughs> I'm just going to break it in about 48 hours. So we just don't even try. We don't even live into that or attempt to do that because we no longer really believe that it's possible to change. But Paul, Paul believes it's possible. Paul communicates it's possible. He wants to, to tell you it's possible because he's experienced it in the world in which he's lived in. He's seen it. And he will argue over and over again that transformation is possible. You can be different. And if you can be different, then guess what? Your family can be different. And if your family can be different, then guess what? Your community can be different. And if your community can be different, then your city can be different. And if your city can be different, then the state and the nation and the world, all of these things can be different. But it all starts with that internal transformation. But let me be clear, transformation isn't just what you wish it to be. This isn't the power of positive thinking or speaking things out of nothing. Like That's not what this is. Transformation is a deep work of God in your life. In fact, I would argue that the work of transformation is God's work alone. It's what God does for us. It starts with God. It's fulfilled by God. And whenever that happens, here's the beautiful part of it. Whenever it is God's work, the work of God is always a work of grace. It's freely given to you, poured out upon you that you might receive. It's nothing that you have to do on your own, but it's something that God wants to do in your life. He wants you to live into it. And that's why Paul in the next verse, verse three, he goes on and he says this, for by the grace given to me, I'm gonna say this. I say to every one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, this isn't just about, you know, an ego or something like that. What he's saying is, don't think that you'll be able to do more than you've been made to do. All right, we always get into these hopes and dreams and we say, well, I can do this, I can do this. And Paul says, no, no, no. Paul, God has designed you uniquely to do something in the world. Your task is to discover what God has designed you to do. Don't try to do what somebody else over there is doing. That's being conformed. Don't just look at them and say, oh, that'd be great if I had their lifestyle. That's being conformed. Rather, turn back to God. Don't think more highly than you should of yourself and say, God, what do you want from me? How do you want me to live my life? How do you want me to operate in this world? And so don't assume that the transformation of God wants for you is just dependent on you. It is God's work. It's not your work. God will, God will work in you to change this. God is working in you to change this. But God gives each of us different abilities and gifts, just like a body. And that's exactly what he says here as he goes on. He says, for as in one body, there are many and various members... Not all the members in the body have the same function. They're various, they're diverse, they look different, they function different, they're made up of different cells. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ. And individually, we are members of one another. There's gonna be diversity. In this room, there's diversity. Watching online, there's diversity. There is a diversity amongst us, and that's okay. That's beautiful. That's exactly how God has made this body. But if we let God do God's work of, in, of transformation in us, the diversity that's represented among us is beautiful because it works together as a cohesive unit. We don't fight against it. We don't mourn the fact that someone else is gifted in this way and I'm not quite gifted that way, that some people can sing and I can't you know, carry a bucket and a tune or tune in a bucket, whatever it is. And like, I can't do any of that. We're not worried about that. Yeah, I can't sing, that's it. Thank you. We don't worry about any of that diversity of giftings. We just rest firmly in what God has given to us how God has made us. And in the last couple of verses, Paul sort of gives us this list. Now, this isn't a comprehensive list, right? This isn't every gift that God gives to us and outline. That's not what Paul's doing here. But he just wants to give you a few, and he wants you to tell you how to operate in those. And, and so he does. He says it this way. He says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And then he gives us the list. If it's prophecy that you have, 
Well, in proportion to your faith, prophesy. All right, that's what he's saying. If it's a ministry gift that you have, well, do it, use it in ministering. The teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Now, as I said, this isn't the whole list. Some of you are like, I don't fit into any of those. What would, what would be good for me? God gives us in, in a variety of ways, and there are other gifts that would be included. But here's what Paul wants to do. Even though this isn't a comprehensive list, what he wants to do is say, whatever work of transformation God is doing in your life, listen carefully. Use the gift. Right? Live into it. Whatever the gift is, whatever it is that God wants to do, however he wants to transform you, use that gift. If it's prophesying, please use it, prophesy. If it's a gift of ministry, please use it, minister in this world. If it's teaching, by all means, teach, teach, teach. If it's exhortation, exhort with all of your heart. Just go out on the street corners and exhort people. You're looking wonderful today. I love it, right? If it's giving, give generously. If it's leading, be that leader that you're supposed to be. If it's compassion, let your compassion overflow. Whatever it is that God wants to do, the most important thing at this point is to work with God in that process of transformation and do it. God wants to do, and God will do the work of transformation in your life. He's already planted the seeds of transformation somewhere in your heart, in your life. That grace has been given to you, but now it's up to you. Now it's up to you to walk into that grace this year and every year and every season of your life. It's up to us to step into that transformation work and to actually believe that some change can happen in my heart. To believe that change can come because the grace of God that is bestowed upon you comes through you and into the world. It comes back out to the world around you. You wanna experience a happy new year? You wanna experience a brand new 2022? Here's what you need to do. Stop waiting for a happy new year and just become a new year. Right, just let that happen. Just become something new. Just live into the transformation that God wants for you. That's how you can start to live into the joy and the fullness of life. Stop waiting for other things around you to change and to happen so that you'll find your happiness, you'll restore your joy, all this. No, no, no. Start becoming a new you. There's a space in your heart that God has created and designed and formed and it's uniquely yours. And you can allow outside things in the world to come in and to press that down and to bury it and to push it down. Or this year, you can start to believe that transformation can happen in your life and you can live in a brand new way. So instead of waiting for the new year, this year, just commit to becoming a new you. Whatever that is. Wherever that takes you, whatever it looks like on the other side. And when you stop waiting for the happy new year, what I believe will happen start focusing on that new you, is new realities will start to emerge around you. Others will start to see the beauty of how you're made. They'll start to lean in and to listen to that, and they'll start to believe it for themselves, right? They'll start to see that, oh, I see how they change. Maybe I can change too. Maybe that's possible for me as well. Instead of praying, you know, that somehow your marriage is just going to come together this year, why don't you commit to becoming a new you? Why don't you commit to becoming a new partner? new husband, a new uh, wife, a new friend, a new lover, whatever it is. Why don't, why don't you just commit to that? Stop thinking about how, you know, you hope that this will happen sometime out there. Instead of hoping that the relationship with your son or daughter will change or be transformed in this year, why don't you just focus on committing to becoming a new you? Just focus on that. Focus on what it means to become a better father or a better mother. Focus on what it means to be a better listener. Focus on what it means to be more present in that space. Why don't you just focus on the things that you can control? 
because you won't be able to control them. You won't be able to control what happens there. Just focus on you. Focus on what you are called to, what you're committing to. Instead of just hoping that work will somehow be better, you know, focus on you this year. Make that commitment back to yourself. Commit to becoming that new you. And when you commit to becoming that new you, you'll start to discover what you are actually made for. And and I understand, whenever you commit to discovering what you're actually made for, sometimes that means that the occupation you're currently living in is perfect, and you just have to change your perspective. But sometimes what that means is the occupation you're living in is not helping you fulfill your call at all. And you're going to have to have some hard conversations this year. You're going to have to have some difficult days ahead to figure out what it means to actually live into the call that God has placed upon your life so that your vocation and your occupation line up. Once you start to do that, you start to discover real joy. As hard as it is, as difficult it is. So instead of just hoping, instead of just wishing one another a better year, I want to encourage you to commit now. Commit now to becoming a new you, to becoming that new year in 2022. You know, I can't think of a better place for us to end this morning than at this table right here. Because this table is the table of grace that is freely given to you no matter what you've done. This is the table where we remember that God is the one who extended himself to us before we ever did anything. And that's not just for our salvation, but it's for our entire life to experience the wholeness of God in our entire life. That God would extend that grace to you so that you can live into the greatest life possible. And so over the next few minutes, I'm going to invite you into a space where we gather around the great Thanksgiving, gather around the table. But as we do and as you come, perhaps you'll kneel in the altar. Whatever you do, you just start to receive not only the grace of the bread and juice, but to receive the grace of God that can transform you to believe that you can be different this year. Whatever it is God is calling to you, you can actually live into that. That's possible. And as we receive his grace once more, take one step into that new reality. Would you stand and pray with me this morning?